right, everybody, welcome into a very, very special episode of The Shant Show. My name is Curtis, I'm going to be your host tonight. We are joined by a special guest who needs no introduction, but I shall struggle to give him one anyways. We are joined by the first quarterback in Coastal Carolina history, Tyler Thigpen. Welcome to the show, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I know it took a while for me to uh, finally pin this down, but I'm excited to be here. Thank y'all. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So without further ado, we'll jump into it. The first question, and kind of one that has bothered us for a while, is you came to Coastal when it didn't have a football program. There was nothing here. There was nothing to base your, you know, recruiting on or anything. Why Coastal, and, and what intrigued you about starting a program from scratch? Um, I think the first thing, just to be blunt and honest, the first thing that, you know, essentially that brought me to Coastal was a full scholarship. Um, you know, for my parents uh, to not have to pay for an education. Um, my brother, fortunately, he was he was able to do the same thing. So me looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, my parents not having to pay for education. So it was kind of a no brainer. Did I know what I was getting myself into? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> and, you know, being back down there for alumni weekend this past uh you know, back in November, man, it's like when you see guys that you, you know, you play with, whether you see them every year for alumni weekend, or you might see them, you know, every three or four years, just because everybody doesn't get back all the time, always. But uh, you always share those stories, Um, you know, coming in that first year, we didn't have a stadium. Um, We probably, I mean, literally, y'all, I mean, if you know where, I believe it's the administration office, like where the CAF all right there beside the softball field. Yeah, yeah. So literally the soccer locker room was in there. And we as 120 football players were sharing a soccer locker room. I mean, we're putting shoulder pads and like your it's probably like your PE lockers that essentially y'all had in high school that pretty much were probably about six inches wide. I mean, you're sitting there shoving your helmet, your shoulder pads. I mean, we were two to three deep, three people deep in a locker. Um so to, to go from what, you know, obviously what we had to what there is there now, man, it just is a, is a, uh, a testament to not all the hard work that we put in, but what those guys are doing now to continue, you know, having that success. And, um, I mean, there's just story after story. I mean, for we used to practice on uh, dry, a driving range right there beside the dominoes on, five, um, on 501. We used to get in the back of trucks and go to Conway Rec Field. Um, where the practice fields are now, that was just a pretty much a, a pasture in a sense that, I mean, co- coaches were literally bringing their own lawnmowers to practice. And while we're stretching, they're out there cutting the grass. I mean, that's how bad we had it back then. And, and honestly, it's like, you can sit there and tell that story to somebody and, you know, you chuckle and it's like, but when you guys, like when you talk to your former teammates and stuff or, or your teammates that you were with during that time, I mean, we made a bond that, I mean, you'll never be able to break that bond because of what all we went through. And to be a starting program, I mean, our first year we were six and five, then we were 10 and one, nine and two and nine and three. To have that much success early on, I really credit to that first year of um, of being together and, and practicing all those because we practiced full pads six days a week. I mean, legit six days a week. I mean, and Coach Bennett was old school. I mean, he that's he was going to – and honestly, looking back, you know, he tells stories. He's like, the reason they did that was because at the end of the day, he said, we're going to find out who's tough and who wants to be here. Because they had they had to. So we had 13 full scholarships in 2002, 13 out of 100. I think there was 120 kids that they were allowed to have. So at that point, 
he had to do whatever he could because he knew the next recruiting class, I think in 2003, they, they were allowed to have like 14. And I think it like each year it bumped up or whatever until they could be at max capacity. But um, he knew he had to weed out. So, I mean, we had guys that, that walked on it. I mean, we were pretty much just passing out flyers at lunch. Like, hey, do you want to come try out for football? Because we needed bodies at that point. And uh, But he really had to figure out, um, you know, which guys truly wanted to be there and what guys didn't. And I think we had – my senior year, um, two of my starting offensive linemen, they started their entire careers there and they were walk-ons. So, you know, but they you know, they were kind of preferred walk-ons, but those are the kind of guys that essentially didn't have any money and they came to school just, you know, essentially wanting to start a program and and, and not knowing and look at, you know, where it took us. Yeah, going in a little bit more on that, that two thousand two year you guys had to redshirt, all of you. Yeah. How many guys you said you had one twenty spots? How long did it take to get to that full roster size? And how did you guys kind of go about implementing an offense and all the systems it took to have a functioning football team with only one year to get ready? You know, I mean, we pretty much, you know, at, at that point, I mean, and I don't know if y'all have ever seen that uh, movie, The Birther of Tradition, that they did. They kind of did like a little video, um, you know, documentary, our first true training camp, not the 2002 year, but the 2003 year. Um, but as far as like, you know, we, there was, we really didn't have much of an identity in 2002. I mean, we had a bunch of guys that were, we didn't have any seniors, you know? So, I mean, you didn't have like, as a freshman, I mean, we were literally fresh out of high school and that was the part that was kind of just crazy looking back. And honestly, I mean, I, I, I can imagine the coaches, every single day at practice or after practice, they'd be like, guys, we got a long way to go. Cause we did. I mean, you know, my freshman year, it took us till game nine to throw a touchdown pass, you know, and, and, and we ended up for six and five that year. And, you know, through one game nine and through two in game 10 and two in the 11th game, but it's just kind of one of those things to where, you know, it just took us a long time to get our identity because at first we had a great running game. We had Andres Perkins. He was six two, two 230 pound running back. Um, you know, we had other guys that were just scat backs, but I mean, we, we pretty much were run the ball two times, you know, on first and second down. And then on third down, we'd try to throw it if we were in a, in a, uh, in a longer, uh, yardage situation. Um, we didn't spread it out until my senior year, which, you know, at that point we had a lot more athletes, you know, as far as receivers and everything as well. Um, but, you know, just going back to that first year, I mean, I just, I can't imagine what the coaches went through each and every day, just trying to figure out what are we going to do? Cause you know, their goal at the end of the day is to win games. How are we going to win games? And they knew going into it that, Hey, we're going to have to run the ball. Cause that's our strength right then. And that doesn't say much for myself because trust me, I wanted to throw the ball, but you know, I was still young. I mean, we, we all came from a wing T offense where we threw the ball maybe five, maybe 10 times a game, if that. So all we did was run the ball in high school. So. Awesome. Uh, Tyler, I had a question to ask you. I wanted to know, um, from your perspective, what was your favorite moment in that CCU uniform? Man, I mean, I would definitely say the the there's two that stand out. Is the first game of the year, our first game of the um, inaugural season, 2003. Uh, I think it was September 6th or whatever against Newberry. I mean. We're tied up. We go, we go down, we scored. I think we scored the first touchdown. Um, and then they tied it up. Then we went up 14 um, to seven. And they ended up tying it up late in the fourth. Um, and then defense got a stir, excuse me, early in the fourth. I think they tied it up. And then we kind of were just going three and out, three and out, nothing, you know, going. 
Defense luckily stopped them. They punted the ball down to the three-yard line. And we had a 97 yards with like, I want to say six, five or six minutes to go. We ran the ball, I think, 11 times. So that tells you how much confidence they had and need to throw the football. But, you know, nothing wrong with that. Because looking back, I mean, I just – that drive, I mean, I still can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, but to go down – Obviously, to have that chance and end up scoring a touchdown and, and winning the game, the first game ever in coastal history, you know, a lot of times that goes the other way because it's, you know, you get embarrassed that first game. But as soon as we won, I mean, the place went crazy. Um, after the game, they jumped, they used to where the field house is now used to be a big old hill where all the students used to stand on. And that was just pretty much a, you know, what a crap show in a sense where everybody obviously being college kids. But uh, they jumped the fence and then went straight to the goalpost, ripped the goalpost down. And, I mean, that was just crazy. Just seeing the videos afterwards, I mean, you got the old AD. He's, like, right in the middle. Once the goalpost fell down, like, where it's U-shaped, the AD's standing right here, and the crowd's just pushing him because they literally took the field straight – or they took the goalpost straight down to um, the road behind there. And then at that point, they went down 544, took the dang goalpost to College Park. So, I mean, it was it was pretty intense. Um, but then my second um, favorite memory would be in 2005 when we were playing James Madison. They had just won the national championship the year mm -hmm. before. They were ranked number one in the nation. And uh, just going – I mean, you know, that was just a, a, a crazy – it was back and forth. And then we ended – at the end of the game, we had to drive down and score a touchdown um, to go ahead and win. I mean, it just – that stadium, you know, it, it packs out now in a sense, but back then it was only, I think, 10,000 capacity. And I think we pretty much had that stadium, you know, full. And that was our first time ever wearing black jersey, black on black. So that was kind of, we went, went in uh, right before the game and the coach, they brought out the new jerseys or whatever. And I think at that point, we kind of knew what time, it was showtime at that point. Yeah. And Coastal brought in the, your offensive coordinator from your high school before your senior year. And then you went kind of crazy in your senior year, Big South Player of the Year, single season passing yard record. How big was he and kind of instilling confidence in you while they were letting you throw the ball more? Um, I think, it, you know, a lot of times, I think it just kind of developed. We ran a little bit of spread my junior year. Um, and that was kind of like the offensive coordinator that was there, my, you know, obviously freshman, sophomore, and junior year. He was more, he was an offensive line coach. So essentially, he wants to run the ball because you want to control the clock. I mean, any, I think any OC, if they can go out and run the ball and, and control the clock and they don't have to throw it, I think they would prefer that just because there's less risk in that. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, they knew that we had guys like Jerome Simpson. We had some smaller guys like Perry Parks. Those are guys like Chris Noble and Santini Washington, those guys that nobody really knows them because they're not in any record books. But those are the guys that, you know, that um, were with us from the start that essentially, you know, were the guys that um, they weren't the big-name guys. But you obviously, you know, for every big receiver, there's some other receivers behind them that essentially uh, are what make up the um, – the offense but uh you know as far as going into my senior bringing him in he ran a spread style offense in college or excuse me in high school and when he came down uh, obviously you know the offense kind of got stagnant my uh, junior year and they wanted to make a change and obviously brought him in and, and long story short coach smallin was actually the head coach at newberry college where coach bennett was an assistant and so that's where the connection was. So when Bennett was here and he had the opportunity to bring his old head coach down and be the offensive coordinator, you know, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Especially when he's got an offense that's, you know, pretty fun. They spread it out. Knew we had the athletes on 
offense to run something like that. So when they brought that down our senior year and, and we knew that we had the ability to, to spread it out, start throwing the ball and to put up the numbers we did. I mean, yeah, I was fortunate that they were my numbers, but man, it was, it was the offensive line. It was the receivers, you know, the defense, we had a solid defense. I mean, it was just um, a great year all around that uh, I couldn't ask for a better senior season to, to, uh, to win conference player of the year, but, you know, also the first chance or first playoff berth, obviously went to App State, got beat at App State. I think there's something in the water up there that just doesn't allow us to win. But uh, right. all the boys were going to pull it out this year, man. Golly. But, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, I was just very blessed and very fortunate to um, to be in the uh, in, in that situation, but also just to be at, at Coastal, man. It was just a, a great experience for me. Yeah, you, you mentioned it there that you guys had Jerome Simpson and Mike Tolbert, you know. Coastal has a couple of guys this year looking to go NFL. You had three of them. What was it like to have weapons like that to play with at, at a college that was so new and, and so young but still had NFL-caliber talent? Um, It was crazy. I mean, I, obviously at the time, I didn't, for one, I know myself, I didn't even think anything until maybe going into my senior that I even had a chance to go in the NFL. Um, you know, that was one thing my quarterback coach at the time, um, and he was actually the co-offense coordinator um, with Coach Smallin, I believe, um, my senior year. And going into that, I just, um, you know, not knowing that I was one, and he sat me down, said he was like, hey, you realize that you, you know, you've got the weapons, you've got, there was obviously uh, NFL scouts coming through, and they were asking about players, and of course, you know, they were asking about me, not that I knew it at the time, but he sat me down and said, hey, you really got a chance, you need to, you know, take this opportunity and uh, take it real serious, not that I wasn't before, but it really kind of, set in and saying, hey, you know, I've got an opportunity to go on to the next level. Um, and just having guys like Jerome, that made it easy to throw it up to. Um, it was just, you know, it was almost like he had stick them on his hands anytime you threw them up to him. And then handing it off to somebody like Mike Tolbert, even though he was a fullback, he was just, to me, he was a big old – he was a running back that essentially, you know, was a, a was a fullback size person in the NFL. Um, and he was a heck of an athlete. People don't realize how good of an athlete – he was, um, I mean, the guy in real basketball, I mean, he could just, he could pretty much do everything. Yeah. And you mentioned that you learned you had a chance to play in the NFL and what did it feel like? I know you, I'm sure you were probably worried about going undrafted, but didn't really care as long as you got a chance. What did it mean for you to hear your name called in the NFL draft and know you had at least a chance? Yeah. I mean, that was a, you know, the, the whole process of training, uh, you know, up into doing your pro day, <laughs> Um, you know, you talk to scouts, uh, leading up to after your pro day, you essentially right. talk to scouts and they're saying, Hey, we've got you at a, um, you know, a, a fifth round draft gate or grade or six or seventh or whatever it might be. And, um, you do your recruiting visits. Um, you know, they flew me out to, I think Detroit and then from Detroit, I think I flew to Kansas city, like all the teams, they kind of coordinate that stuff. And then, um, those, and then I went to Minnesota as well. And, and talking with those teams, um, I knew that they had interest. I didn't know exactly if they were going to draft because they, I mean, they're not going to tell you they're going to draft you so and so because things change throughout the draft. Different players come available. Um, so you know, going into draft day, essentially back then it was it was only two days. It was a Friday and a Saturday, I believe. Um, you had your first three rounds on Friday night, and then your um, next three or excuse me, your yeah, your four. Or, rounds four through seven on Saturday 
And I remember my brother came in town that weekend and we sat there and watched, you know, the entire draft, which felt like an eternity. But on Saturday, of course, we made the most of it because, you know, what do you do as a, you know, obviously you were in college, essentially still going to school. So we sat around, played cornhole and drank all day Saturday um, watching the draft and watched every single pick. But it was funny because once you get to like round four and you know that like, you know, Philly had an interest in me because they came down to work me out. The Bengals um, came and did like an individual workout. Um, obviously, Minnesota, Detroit, and Kansas City. So every time that those teams came up on the um, on the pick, you were like, you were waiting because then they call your phone. So I didn't even have great service back then in the day or whatever. I mean, you guys probably don't even understand that, but back in the day, you had to sit, you pull, you pull a little antenna up on your phone. I had it sitting up on the TV, hoping for a good service at the time, you know, and you're sitting there walking around trying to, you know, to, to keep, but, uh, you know, obviously just anytime somebody might call, you know, you never knew if it was a team or, you know, at the time until you look at your phone, you know, you don't have a watch nowadays where you can look at who's calling. Um, but, you know, just sitting around, just the anticipation of just um, waiting on that call. And then when when round seven came, when Minnesota was on the clock, um, next thing you know, my phone rings. It's got a minute. And back then it said Minnesota number or whatever. Um, and so I've answered it and it ended up being uh, Rick Spielman, the GM for uh, for uh, Minnesota at the time. I think he's still there, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then Brad Childress is obviously on the line as well, which was the head coach. And he's like, "Hey, Tyler." They were like, "Is this Tyler?" And I was like, "Yes, sir." And of course, they said, uh, "Well, this is uh, Brad. This is Rick Spielman and Brad Childress or whatever." I just want to call and um, ask you if you want to be a Viking. At that point, it's like, "No, you know what? Let me go." <laughs> so I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." Um, and then they said, "Well, just uh, we're gonna hang up the phone. We'll be in touch soon, but just watch your name come across the screen." And at that point hung up the phone and then it was like on uh showed pick 217 and obviously my name came across the screen which was pretty pretty cool feeling just to looking back saying you know being the first ever nfl draft uh pick out of coastal carolina there was a lot of things that i was fortunate but you know i always try to give credit back to my teammates because i wouldn't have been able to do any of that stuff without them so uh, but it was a cool experience it was um it was a long experience in the sense from starting all the way from January until um, the end of April. But uh, it was an experience that I wouldn't trade for anything to, to look back. And I know those guys coming out now, man, they're going to, uh, it's a lot easier for those guys just because they have the, the facilities and everything to train now compared to what we had back then. Um, but, you know, a lot of those guys that are higher draft picks, shoot, they send them off, you know, whether it be to California, Atlanta, Miami, wherever they take them to train and stuff. So I'm excited for those guys and hope, uh, wish them nothing but the best, certainly. For me personally, I wanted to ask, I know we have a few people on our roster who are NFL caliber talent, um, whether it's from Isaiah Likely, who was a tight end, uh, Grayson McCall was quarterback. And really, I just wanted to get your perspective since you actually played at the quarterback position from here and in the NFL. Tell me, what do you think about Grayson McCall's game? Man, he's fun to watch, man. I always – I get a little jealous sometimes just watching that offense because <laughs> it's so much fun um, just watching him be able to to run around because, I I mean, I enjoyed running. I mean, I ended up leading the Big South in rushing my senior year 
and I was a freaking quarterback. So, you know, I always loved to run, but we didn't have a lot of design runs like Grayson does and stuff like that. But, you know, just watching him, the biggest thing I'd say about Grayson, he's a great manager of the game. He's very accurate with the football um, and he takes care of it. Um, and I think that's at the end of the day as a quarterback, if you're accurate and you take care of it, meaning you're not turning the ball over, you're going to win football games because he's got some athletes around him. Um, and it's always nice to have a tight end like uh, – likely or whatever, because, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, a tight end for a quarterback is like your blanket. I mean, I had Tony Gonzalez when I was in Kansas City, and, I mean, I just – anytime you just got in trouble, you just figure out where he's at because, it, you know, you always felt that he was going to bail you out of trouble. So – but as far as, um, as Grayson, man, I mean, I've been – uh watching him since last year luckily you know now I don't get to many games just being up here with two little ones now but um you know I don't get back to the games much but you're already to watch them on tv now with the tv deal with the ESPN plus and all that so it's nice to be able to watch them um you know obviously slinging around on offense because you know at the end of the day um I saw somebody sent me something this week that said he needs three more touchdowns just to you know to tie my record or whatever for uh career passing touchdowns and I'm sitting there. I think Alex Ross is Alex Ross the leader in that, I believe. Um I think he is. It just went in the um Hall of Fame this past year. Yeah. But I just said to I was like, man, he's gonna shatter not only my records, but any records that are out there just because you know, he's just that type of player. And you want to see that. Records are, you know, they're set, but they're made to be broken. And you couldn't – and just talking to people, I've never met Grayson or whatever, but just talking, they say he's a very humble guy. Um, and just, you know, you always want to see guys that have a lot of success, but also that they're humble about it and they go about their business and they go to work every single day. So I'm excited to see what the future holds for him. Right. And do you think he's – you had a 30-8 and eight record as a quarterback. He's 21-3. and three. Do you think he'll be able to beat next season your passing yards record and your wins record? Do you think he's got you know, a chance I think, to do that? I really, yeah, I think he'll definitely. I, I do think, from the standpoint of <clears> the, <throat> um, you know, the wins, I think the passing yard shoot. I think he would have beat him this past year. He missed two um, games, yeah. If he missed, if he didn't miss those two games, you know, I mean, it, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, when you as a quarterback, you always look at stats. So just watching that, I'm like, dang, he's definitely gonna end up you know, probably end up shattering that record. And, of course, he had the injury that set him back. But, um, you know, you want those guys to do that because that's just, you know, he's going to set the mark for the next guy. And then, the, and, you know, the quarterbacks like Joe Burrow, what he did in, in uh, LSU a couple years – or two years ago, I mean, that record probably right there, that's probably going to be hard to be broken for a long time with the touchdowns and everything. Um, but you want to see guy, like I said, good kid – um, you want to see them do well, and um, I'm excited to see what he's what the future holds for him. Um, you know, not only at Coastal, I want to see him continue to do great at Coastal, um, but you know, Lord willing, he's got a chance at the next level because I think he does have the tools for that. Yeah, you um, you talked about your first FCS playoff berth and earning that in your uh, senior season and doing that with the team. The team this year is is headed to Orlando this week, headed down to play the Cure Bowl. I know it's a different kind of level, but what would a bowl victory mean for this program? And what what is your look at that in terms of getting that victory finally under Coastal's belt? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, you use that, and obviously in the recruiting um, aspect of things, of, of, of having that, you know, maybe in your um, in your award or in your, case, your trophy case or whatever it might be. But um, – you know, going into this year when they were obviously undefeated going up to App State, 
and then losing at App State before then, I mean, I, you know, there was crazy talks about, um, you know, I, don't, I know they wouldn't have probably gotten into the um, college playoff system or, or the uh, top four, but, you know, you wanted to see them have that Cinderella gear um, that, like they were having last year. And then, of course, they played Liberty. Um, but I think last year was one of those things to where they got into the Cure Bowl and they weren't, you know, necessarily happy about it um, and thought they, we thought that we thought we deserved better. But then this year, of course, with the two losses, it's like you want to um, to get that higher bowl that's maybe a, a, a New Year's Eve or New Year's Day bowl or whatever that are bigger bowls and not, not something on December 17th on a Friday night at a high school game, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, 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 the more success they have year in and year out, the 10-win seasons are going to help them because – you know, at one point this season before, you know, obviously we were ranked, I think, what was the highest we got this year? Was it this year, I think 14. 13. 14, okay. Um, you know, at that point, I would say they were out recruiting. You could out recruited Carolina, Clemson, yeah. any team in the state at that point. Um, you know, obviously their facilities are a little better at Clemson and Carolina, but, you know, at the end of the day, wins are wins. And I would have taken us any day of the week against Clemson and Carolina. And, I would, and normally I wouldn't have said that because realistically, but – you know, I would still almost take them um, right now because I know we're playing with a chip on our shoulder um, going into this because last year we lost to Liberty. Um, and I know that what it would mean, obviously, like you said, to the program, what it would mean of, of bringing a win home. You know, you have a great season. You don't get a chance to play for the conference championship. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, bringing a bowl victory home would mean a lot to those guys because they, the, the work they put in throughout the year um, is – it makes it all worth it when you're able to sit there and in the last game of the season of holding that uh, bowl victory and holding that trophy up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I have to ask because we're all coastal students here. You're a former coastal student here. Yeah. It's a big topic on campus right now, and it's definitely something that needs to be discussed. I want to ask you about parking. Um, oh, it was, it was, it's pretty bad now. And we, it's, it's we, really bad. <laughs> we just welcomed in the biggest freshman class in coastal Carolina history. Wow. And it's, it's really bad to get parking spaces down here. So I, I just wanted to ask you, uh, Tyler, how was parking back when you were in school? And did it suck then? Because it sucks now. It's absolutely horrible. It was horrible then. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times you were just trying to dodge campus police from getting a ticket, mm -hmm. parking in faculty parking. Um, I mean, there was so much of that stuff going on back then. And now they're building, you know, there was, you know, like the horseshoe right over there beside, I think, the library. Like, that used to be parking along that. Now they've obviously completely paid that in. Beside, the, I think, the wall building to the right, there's a new building right across from the track. That used to be all parking. Yep. Now there's a building there. Um, you know, the parking behind like the, um, I guess when you first came in off 501, that parking there, that was not there. Um, used to park, the bookstore used to be that first building on the right. That used to be the bookstore. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you had parking right in front of the Sino grill. Is that still there? The Sino grill where I think the chick, is there a Chick-fil-A and stuff in there now or something? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, parking was horrible back then. And we were, I think, I want to say coastal, how many students are there now? Like thirteen thousand, something yeah, like that. We're over, yeah. Back over. then, it was like ten thousand. <clears throat> you know, it was still bad, but I just can't imagine driving back on campus now and seeing that. I mean, the thing was, is just like any college kid, you're gonna wait until the last minute to get to get to class. So, of course, when you drive, yep. you're trying to find the best parking spot. You're sitting there trying to, you know, the last thing you want to do is park and get on a bus and ride. Um, 
to class. I mean, I see a lot of kids, <laughs> a lot of teammates, they had scooters, um, like little mopeds or whatever. Yeah. Um, they, obviously, they're electric now or whatever. But they had gas mopeds that they would just drive to class because you could park those pretty much right there on the bike rack <laughs> in front of the building. And I was just – and I wish my dad would have came off the hip and bought me a dang $400 scooter back then because that would have saved me probably, a, probably $400 worth of parking tickets that I ended up getting. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. tickets back then. I don't know what what do they cost now? They're like fifty dollars. They're crazy with it. Okay, well shoot, they were probably about forty bucks back then. I mean, that's just and you I mean, golly, looking back to I mean, as me, I remember trying to put them on other people's cars and stuff, trying to <laughs> going good and well it's got my license plate on. Right. <laughs> or a lot of times what I'd do is, you know, I'd I'd put an old one back on my car. And then obviously go into class thinking the cop would be like, oh, I already wrote a ticket. Nope. I'd yep. have two of them when I got back, you know. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've done that twice this semester. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> we, we we worked for ESPN Plus, actually, at Coastal. Oh, nice. So we're at all the events, and we can barely get a parking spot at 6 p.m. to go to work. That's and crazy. HCC, there's like 12 parking spots. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. There's no parking. And that's and that's what's crazy. I mean, like, to get to a basketball arena, which I want to call it campus, there's just no parking around it. And that just that sucks because, you got like you said, you got to park and you got to walk. I mean, and, and, you know, there is somewhat parking around the stadium now. They've expanded that a little bit. And I think in, like, um, the old soccer field, is that, like, a fraternity housing? Or, like, not housing, but where they do a fraternity lot where they can tailgate and stuff before the game. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. if you ever go to like Georgia Southern, I remember when we went to Georgia Southern and App State, when you pull up to those stadiums and those parking lots, man, it's just, it was a different breed coming from what we were back at Coastal where you couldn't even drink on campus when you tailgated back then. I mean, I remember so many people just sneaking alcohol, just trying to drink and stuff. And, you know, you go to Georgia Southern and App State, and it's just like they're doing keg stands as you pull up, you know, to the stadium. So, I mean, they've been they've had a long football tradition for a long time, that's for sure. Yeah, that's one of the things we've really talked about on this podcast is Coastal's way above in football success than what they have facilities-wise. We should oh, not uh, be this good in football. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's a credit, you know, Chadwell has turned it around. Right. He's really, um, his offense, I mean, uh, you know, I think with the two losses this year, not that I don't think he would have gone anywhere anyways, but the two losses I think kept him, um, you know, here for maybe a year or another or so. Because, you know, if he goes undefeated, gets into a bigger bowl, because obviously if we were undefeated, we probably would have been in the top ten, you know, just New because of way, right. way people were losing and everything like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like a coach like that is having that much success. You know, there's going to be coaches that are going to be knocking on the door trying, or colleges that are knocking on the door trying to get somebody like him out there um, to their school because, you know, that offense, man, I mean, I, I, it's just as a quarterback watching that offense, man, it's just so much fun because you have so many moving parts and it makes it so um, – it, it, it makes defenses, for one, vanilla – but the biggest thing about it as an offense is like, you know what you're doing, you know what the play call is. So you're obviously, you've got a guy coming in motion, you're faking a run play, knowing that obviously you're just trying to obviously throw the ball, but the defense doesn't know that because you got a guy they see is going in motion, then you're faking, you know, to the running back. And along with that, I mean, that, once you put your eyes in the backfield, that's too much, that's, you're too late at that point. Um, so seeing the big plays that that offense is able to put up, 
at you know at coastal you can still do that with those type of offenses on another level and Clemson had a version of that um with uh Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence mm-hmm. I don't know what happened this past year um with DJ whatever but you know watching those guys those kind of offenses that you've got a, a mobile quarterback and, and and I mean there's so many there's four options on every single play that you just don't know what's going to happen. Because if you cover everything, you cover, you stop the run, you stop the, you know, got jet sweep or whatever, you know, in the sense that you're more or less when I say you cover it, you're, you're, you're playing for that. Well, next thing you know, Grayson breaks off a 20, 30 yard run, um, something you can't account for. So, you know, just watching when you got that many athletes and, and that type of offense is really dangerous. So I'm excited to see what, um, what they've got and hopefully they can build and continue to stack recruits because, you know, you're only as good as the next class coming in. So right. hopefully they'll uh, continue to do that. Yeah. As it currently sits, coastal has the number one class in the Sun Belt. early signing day is coming up in a couple of days. So they'll be bringing in some new talent. Now maybe we'll find the, the record breaker that passes you and passes Grayson too. And you know, this, this coastal program continues to grow and continues to improve, but I think with that, I think we kind of wrap it up. Tyler, we thank you so, so much for joining on with us. This was a heck of a lot of fun. We'd love to do it again in the future. But thanks a lot for uh, for joining in with us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. So thanks again to Tyler Finkman for jumping on with us, an NFL veteran, a guy who has a lot of experience in a lot of different areas, set the standard for Coastal Carolina, and especially Coastal Carolina quarterback play, and was a real inspiration for us and and for for this team and, and this program and turning it into what it is now. Without him, Coastal, who knows where they're at. Coastal could still be an FCS team. Coastal could be a bottom-dweller team that never made it out. But because of that guy, we now have a future. But thanks again to him. Um, Stay tuned for what we have coming up next. The SHOT Show is actually hitting the road. We're headed to Orlando. We're following the team down there. We're going to be doing some media work down there. Have a lookout for what we've got coming up. National Signing Day is just around the corner, at least the early signing period is, and we'll be doing a recruiting special down there as well, and we've got a couple of uh, really cool things coming up, so stay tuned, follow us on Twitter at The Shot Show, on Instagram at Shot Show, and uh, yeah, send us questions, send us episode ideas that you have for the offseason, we're going to keep this thing rolling, and we uh, can't wait to get back to you, but we'll see you soon, Shots up. <laughs>